you all set for Thanksgiving or do you have some grocery shopping to do? Oh, you know, I have never actually cooked a turkey in my life, so I'm pretty lucky. I get to go to my parents and I just help out there. Well, before you can go there, we've got this thing to do, so let's do it. Welcome to a Thanksgiving week episode of This Week in the CLE, the podcast discussion of the news by the reporters and editors at Cleveland.com. I'm Chris Quinn, editor here at Cleveland.com, and I'm here with co-host Laura Johnston. We wondered last week whether we'd have news to talk about, Laura. Wonder no more. We never run out of news in Northeast Ohio. This week, I am fascinated over the battle of the shopping bag ban. It seems like it should be so simple, but there is just so much drama. And my interest is in the criminal charges against the highest-ranking African-American in county government. The case makes absolutely no sense to me. Okay, well, it's a short week, so we've got a short podcast. Let's bring in Courtney and Corey to get the conversation started. Welcome to the Port Podcast, Corey Schaefer and Courtney Estolfi. Hello, hello. Good to be here. Courtney, let's start with the plastic bag ban. As you've reported, a countywide ban on plastic shopping bags is set to begin January 1st, but suddenly it appears to be in peril, and County Councilwoman Sunny Simon is blaming Cleveland City Councilman Kevin Kelly. Yeah, so last night, Council President Kevin Kelly introduced legislation that would opt the city out of the county's bag ban. You know, Kelly said he's worried about um, the extra cost of paper bags on grocers here in the city who already operate on thin profit margins. And he's, you know, he said city council's done a lot to retain and keep those grocery stores in the city. And he doesn't want to move ahead with something that might jeopardize that might jeopardize that without getting a fuller, better look about how this might impact retailers. But, you know, he's making this push at the really the 11th hour and 59th minute. This thing was set to go into effect on January 1st, even though the county did a very poor job of publicizing that. Where was he when the county council was considering this thing? Yeah, this this is a really late request. And when we talked to him a few days ago, he acknowledged it was a a late conversation. He said the grocers recently came to him and made these concerns known. It's pretty late in the game, though. So even though county council adopted this as a countywide ban, Cleveland can exempt itself? Yeah, so Cleveland's a charter city. They can they can opt out move forward with their own regulations they don't have to go along with this countywide legislation so i'm still tripping over the dysfunction here kelly makes good points about the county's rollout of this thing and about how clumsy it's been uh, very little has been communicated to grocers to people you would think that we would have a lot more information at this point in other states where these bans were implemented a lot more effort was invested in getting people ready but shouldn't kelly and the county council be working this out I mean, they're the people we elected to lead. Why are they not working together? Even as of yesterday, they were not working together. Yeah, this is kind of a big question mark here. You know, Kelly told us that he expected county council to reach out to him and involve him more in the process as this was moving through county council. County council contends that they did reach out and did try and work with the city, but Somewhere. But wait, let me stop you, though. Even even in the most recent development where they've decided to have the six-month grace period, right, where where they won't issue warnings or fines for, for businesses that use the plastic bags, they didn't have the conversation with Kelly. They knew Kelly was going to put the brakes on because he wanted to bring everybody together to talk it out. 
They didn't talk to him before they did it. And when we talked to him, you talked to him. He said, yeah, that doesn't work for me. I mean, they're communicating through us. That doesn't make any sense. There seems to be a really problematic breakdown here. And I don't know how they get over that hurdle. And, And last night when Kelly was talking to his council members about it, there were some comments about of concern of, of why these two major players and aren't working together. We have a reporter at the city council today on Tuesday, and the, the same thing happened again. Some council members said, why don't we do six months instead of a year, you know, match up what the county's doing? And he was like, no, let's not. So it, it seems like a really hard stop with Kevin Kelly. And so Brooklyn has already opted out. Um, if Cleveland opt out for at least a year and Kelly hears other cities are also doing it. What does this mean for the bag ban? Um, you know, folks at the county and and at least one council member last night has made it clear that they're, you know, they're concerned that the state's going to come in and 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 preempt the county ban and this thing's going to be dead in the water. This this in their view, buys enough time for it to be killed at the state level. Well, and that's that's the, the danger here is we have legislators in the distant parts of the state, the people we often refer to here as our overlords, uh, and they are in the pocket of the plastics and grocery industry, and they're trying to prohibit home rule powers that would, that would block the ban by not having the county ban go into effect before that state prohibition begins. I would think that that would make it a weaker case when this goes to court. It seems like a huge blow to, to lose the city of Cleveland in all this. Absolutely. Okay, so let's move on. Corey, you have a story on the latest in the criminal investigation of Cuyahoga County government. A top official in the administration of County Executive Armin Budish almost pleaded no contest last week. Let's start by reminding people who what exactly is the case against Bob Dykes, Budish's head of human resources. Uh, it's actually Doug Dykes. Doug Dykes, right. Doug Dykes. <laughs> so this, Doug Dykes, like you said, he's, he's the, the chief uh, talent officer. So he's in charge of recruiting top-level talent to come into county government. And this case, particular case is about uh, his recruitment of a guy named uh, Jim Hay. So Jim Hay was going to be the um, deputy IT administrator. Um and this, Doug Dykes offered, the offer to Jim Hay was included $15,000 uh, moving expenses. Jim Hay apparently did not use all that in moving expenses. So at some point, the decision was made to switch the moving expenses to a signing bonus. So what the prosecutors said when they um, you know, subpoenaed records and everything, and then Doug Dykes ended up being indicted, was that he asked for but did not receive authorization from county officials to change those expenses into a signing bonus. And then he lied to a county employee by falsely claiming that Cuyahoga County Law Director Bob Triazzi had approved the con- the conversion of the moving expenses into a signing bonus. Okay, so what exactly was he going to plead to? So he was going to plead no contest to the full indictment, which was theft in office, tampering with records, obstructing official business, and falsification. Okay. So the no contest plea would allow him to not plead guilty, and I think that was that was why they wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but a no contest plea still results in a judge finding you guilty of the charges that you plead no contest to. Right. So why did he change his mind at the last minute? So there's actually in the state, in state law, the Ohio Revised Code, in the theft in office, anyone who is either 
uh, pleads guilty to or is found guilty of committing theft in office, you have to quit your job in office and you can no longer be a public employee and have any position of trust in state government. And Doug is a, a longtime public servant that this is, you know, what he has built his career on is public mm-hmm. service. And I think that was too hard for them to stomach when uh, he and his attorney, Anthony Jordan, realized that that was in the statute and that pleading no contest and being found guilty of that would mean he would no longer be able to serve the public. That was something they couldn't do. And mm-hmm. so it fell apart, apparently, at the last minute. I got to say, Corey, I think we're going to mix it up here. I can't remember the last time we had a criminal case that seemed to defy all logic like this. I know that when you and I talk, you make the case that Dykes could be deemed guilty of stealing from the county because he gave away county money to someone without legal authority. But I think the common sense view is that his boss, Budish, came into office saying he was going to go hard after top people. Dykes recruited someone Budish wanted, offered a bonus in accordance with Budish's wishes, and Dykes had no personal benefit. Yeah. So again, you know, the, the personal benefit, I, I don't see anywhere in the statute where you have to personally benefit from something. And, and that's an interpretation that, uh, you know, different minds can come to. But, you know, if you look at the actual theft in office, you know, you have to commit a theft offense, first of all. And what does that mean? It means you have to take something that doesn't belong to you through, you know, there's five or six different things in the ORC, but one of them is without the consent of the owner or the person authorized to give consent. So the question is going to be, did Doug Dykes know that he didn't have permission to do this? So... All right, but but several things. One, you got to have criminal intent. Like, this guy was trying to commit a crime. We do have, in a recording that we made with... Budish and the then law director and half the other top officials of the county, I think the chief of staff was here too, arguing with all of us emphatically that the the county charter gives them the power to do all this stuff. They're, they're arguing, they're wrong. I mean, and we were never buying any of it. We were like, this doesn't make sense to us. You have a policy and procedure manual. You got to follow the rules. But Doug Dykes is sitting there with a whole bunch of people who are his bosses and and higher than him in county government saying that you can do these things if it's in the interest of keeping the county running. Um, If I'm a juror, right, Dykes is sitting there. He didn't get anything. He, He there's going to be a debate on whether or not he had approval to do this stuff or not. And he's going to have a recording in which everybody who's anybody in county government is that we have the right to do this. I don't see any way in the world you get a conviction on a guy when you think about what actually happened here. So, yeah, there's a lot of questions that are going to have to be answered. You know, was this determination that they could do this through the charter? Was that something that was reached before this payment or was it something they reached after the payment when they realized they needed to look at this and and the auditor said it was improper? Um, you know, the, the, uh, just to back up a little bit when the prosecute, when, when Doug Dykes first showed up in one of these subpoenas, right? So they were, they asked for, uh, documents in the control of Doug Dykes reflecting any employment offers, moving expenses or bonuses made to Jim Hay or paid to Jim Hay. And then when they come out with the indictment that says, and the prosecutor's office says that. Dykes lied to a county employee by falsely claiming that Cuyahoga County law, that, you know, Triazi gave him the permission to do this, then, you know, we have the recording where Triazi says, you know, yeah, they they actually absolutely could do this. 
So we have public statements to us, and we have statements that were given at some point, apparently, to right. prosecutors. But, but, so but somewhere crime, along the line, somebody re- is not telling the truth But it's there. reasonable doubt, right? I mean, so th- this isn't a preponderance of evidence. It's not going to be, well, I think this is true or this is true. It's, is there a reasonable doubt he committed a crime? And then you get back to the fact he didn't get anything. Look, man, I keep trying to understand why this case hasn't been dismissed. Where's the common sense from the judge? Frankly, where's Marsha Fudge and the black leaders? A staggering injustice is about to happen to the county's highest ranking African American official and no one is standing up for him. I think there'd be protests outside the courthouse. Compare him to the Highland Hills mayor who stole all of that money from the campaign account of Congressman David Joyce. He barely got his hand slapped in court a couple of months ago and he stole the money. He took, what was it, $150,000, $250,000. Over the years, I've had a lot of people argue that our justice system is stacked against African Americans. If you look at the drug argument back in the day was the idea that the, the, the sentences for people that did crack cocaine, which was largely an urban thing, were much higher than people who did regular cocaine, which was mostly a white thing. You guys are way too young to remember the case of Jeff Johnson, but I was here for that. He was a state rep or state senator at the time, and he got convicted of bribery in federal court. He was the city councilman who ran for mayor last time around. And what nobody remembers about that case is that the federal informant went into him like 25 times trying to get him to take a bribe. And 24 times or whatever it was, 18 times, he said no. Over and over again, he wouldn't take the bribe. The last time he took the bribe, that's what he got convicted for. But there were people that thought that was really cooked. This Dykes case seems worse than that because you don't have personal gain. You have a guy in the pursuit of the goals of his boss to bring in the top people provided a bonus. How is that more than a big mistake, a big no-no? How can that be deemed a crime? I mean, again, this is all, I think, stuff that, I, I'm not going to contend anything about, you know. <laughs> yeah, you are. The, the, come on, the, come on, bring it, the, man. The, 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 you know, inherent racism in the criminal justice system. I'm not going to say you're wrong about that. I, I again think that, you know, with the Highland Heights guy, this what he, I, from what I know about the case, he pled guilty. You know, he got again a slap in the wrist, or you know, and and this is all like he's not even going to jail, right? I mean, it's right. like he's got the bracelet right. for two months, right. and, and so he stole Dykes, a staggering sum. Even if Doug Dykes goes to trial, gets found guilty of all counts, I would be highly, I, I would be willing to bet money, and I'm not a better that he's not going to go to jail because he has no no prior record. Again, these mitigating factors would be that we have this recording. There's a lot of debate on whether or not. Uh, he even had permission to do this. The sad thing, though, Corey, because we talked to a lot of people that talked to Dykes, is privately, not publicly, privately he is maintaining, I did nothing wrong, but he's ready to be adjudicated guilty because he's so scared that he is an African-American guy about to be adjudicated guilty of a theft and will go to prison if he does that. That's If, if he really doesn't believe he committed a crime, he shouldn't do that, but but I think it's the fear of this system that's persuading him to do what what I think logic says is an injustice. There, it just seems to me that going after this guy for this is crossing the line. Anyway, it's a uh, it's good to have you on to mix this up. <laughs> yeah, it is a really weird case, and we'll have to see whether prosecutors can entice Dykes into pleading or whether he stands firm. 
Corey, another one for you. The sprawling county investigation branched out to the Global Center for Health Solutions, a.k.a. the Medical Mart. We talked last week about the focus on reimbursements for expenses for BioEnterprise, the company brought in to get that building fully leased. And then last week, we talked about correspondents rejecting some of those expenses. This week, you went through a raft of those expenses records, and they sound really complicated. So please break it down for us. Uh, they are very complicated. <laughs> uh, it's really unclear. I, I I got kind of thrown into this at the last minute. Courtney can feel free to jump in if <laughs> she knows more about the Convention Facility Development Corporation and all the inner workings about all that stuff. But basically, it seems like there's a dispute over expenses that BioEnterprise submitted to this governing board to pay out to reimburse them for things that they did and whether or not that they were that they should have gotten them or not. The records are really unclear. There's yeah, like not I, really, it's not clear when they were submitted, when the review was done, when they were, if they were denied, and then there was some sort of subsequent review. Your, we're still too early at this your point. Your story I think, scares to, me because it feels like we are getting this tiny little window on whatever this is. The records that we have are so limited that, that, yeah, this could be really bad stuff or it could be completely explainable. So, you know, we talked a little while ago, you're going to put together a piece now that emphasizes the unanswered questions. Here are a few. Did anybody from the county sign off on $2,000 expenses without seeing the itemized receipts that that are standard practice now? Because if they did, that's bad, right? If somebody's signing off giving away $2,000 at a pop without knowing what it's for, then somebody at the county would have some explaining to do. Did somebody get public money to pay for a flight, private flight, for their kid, which some of the expense forms seem to show that they did, and and we're not getting an explanation, and I can't imagine what that explanation would be, but then we get back into the previous conversation, that would be theft, right? Because I'm stealing the money to pay for my kid's flight from the county, but again, we're, we're left with very little in the way of explanation, just some smoke. And my favorite one is, did BioEnterprise walk away from managing the Global Center because of this criminal investigation, because of friction with the county, or because the Global Center has always been a stupid, unworkable idea? <laughs> so yeah, those looking are the... forward to your story. And are there more? Obviously, we think there are more records out there to get, right? I, I would hope that these aren't the extent of the records this place kept <laughs> yeah that's real problematic if that's all there is <laughs> all right but, but you guys both in the reporting on this you know courtney you might remember this armin budish brought bio enterprise in here two years ago to say i've come up with a solution for the global center bio enterprise great reputation does all sorts of stuff it's been good for cleveland's whole health tech feel uh they were going to come in and be the savior right so now that they've walked away, there's all this innuendo and scandal. What is the county saying? I mean, I would I would expect to hear something from Armin Budish or his administration now because their solution failed. The the people they brought in are being seemingly accused of wrongdoing. Are they just not returning our calls? I mean, Corey, you tried to reach them yesterday. Did you ever get anything from them? No, I haven't heard back yet. And you called repeatedly, right? Yeah, several times. And and I just want to note for these this two-year period that BioEnterprise has been in the Global Center, I think there were maybe, and I'm not specific on the numbers, but I think there were maybe some 14 tenants 
that were in there when they came in, a large portion of them, I think, I think maybe 12 of them did not renew their leases when Bio Enterprise was there. And him's so leaving, right? The, the, the big, big anchor one, was the leaving. There's a couple one, yeah. small tenants that are in sub leasers that are still in there. But Bio Enterprise was brought in as the savior and the the global center's in a worse place now with occupancy than arguably but they had some kind of party for march madness right that's what the records show that there was like a 300 hundred dollar liquor bill so So what were they doing when they were that's part of the question that's a dangerous thing to do though because that's what people do i mean we we have things in our own office to boost employee morale and you know we're having a a christmas get together in a couple of weeks that that we will pay for from the company so the idea that they had some morale boosting thing that cost a few hundred dollars that that's a red herring that's not something i think to to and and if they had a dinner that cost $2,000 and there were 18 people there and they thought that it might lead to some lucrative lease at the Global Center, that might be okay. What's not okay is signing off on a $2,000 receipt expense without knowing any of that because this could be three guys drinking the most expensive scotch that was on the menu all night and, and not having a business purpose and not not knowing that is is very troubling and i get back to my original question where is the county on this they have some explaining to do that's a good question well i will say i would imagine that if we worked with taxpayer money we'd probably have a few less (laughs) (laughs) get-togethers no 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 i i I actually think we work way leaner than the county government does (laughs) i've seen the waste All right. Thanks, Courtney and Corey, for taking the time and have a great Thanksgiving. You too. too. Thanks. In a moment, we'll talk about the possibility of migrant children who crossed uh, the Mexican border coming to Cleveland. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. We have reporter Eric Heisig in our little podcast studio. Hello, Eric. Happy Thanksgiving, Laura. Chris. You smoked out an interesting story recently about children who came across the Mexican border and might be headed to Cleveland, but these are not children separated from their parents. So who are they? I'm going to put a big caveat there. This, the Department of Health and Human Services, the federal government agency that oversees where migrant children go, say this is not children separated from their parents. Um, but these are, according to them, uh, children who cross the border um, into the U.S. by themselves. Um, there's been, you know, many stories and many news outlets talking about the number of children, the number of families that have come across the border in the last couple of years seeking refuge, seeking asylum. Uh, and, and through this program, the Department of Health and Human Services and some of its smaller offices have been looking for places to put them. Um, you know, you've seen stories about detention camps, whatever they want to call them. I know that's kind of a loaded term. But in this case, they're trying to put them with foster families. They're trying to put them in a home that is safe uh, while their cases are being heard. So, are these technically deportation cases that are, and they're, and they're in, they will now be in the Cleveland Immigration Court? That is, that is the understanding. And, and in deportation cases, you know, they're not here illegally. A lot of these kids are coming in seeking refuge, seeking asylum. They're fleeing, just like a lot of their parents are fleeing violence in their homes, especially in Central America. America. You know, there's cartels, there's other violence, there's corruption, what have you. And they're looking for a better place. The but, ult- but if the court deems them not to have legitimate claims of refugee status, the court could then send them back 
Is that the, is that what could happen? That is. So yes, in that case, if you want to call it a deportation case, it may <laughs> not be the most inaccurate thing. I'm only drawing the distinction because it's not as if a lot of these children were found in the U.S. You know, had been living here for years, like we see so many cases. Oh, as they well. came in saying they 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 as they crossed the border, they said, "I'm under threat. I need asylum." Right. Okay. I, I, I'm looking for a better place. So why are they coming to Cleveland? Is it because our immigration court has some capacity while the courts near the border are jammed up? Yes, and it's not just been Cleveland. They're coming to Cleveland because there's a nonprofit out of um, out of Columbus, the National Youth Advocate Program, that got a grant from the Office of Refugee Resettlement, part of HHS, that basically was giving them money to essentially uh, – provide foster homes and programming for these kids. Uh, It was in several states. Cleveland was one of them. As I said before, this has happened in other cities. Um, And we're not talking, you know, Chicago has seen these. Other parts of the country have too. And and these are basically places to put them while they're waiting to find a family member or a, a loved one that they can be placed with while their refugee status is under review by a court. Well, the issue, though, is who takes care of them. We we have a foster system in Cuyahoga County that's been strapped by the opioid crisis. Uh, what happens to these kids? I mean, the the Columbus group says they can find the foster kid and foster. The Columbus group says they can find foster families for these kids. And then, what happens to these kids during the day when others would be in school? So answer your first question, yes, this this company, which does a lot of Department of Children and Family Services work in, for governments around the country, um, they, they do believe, yes, they can find foster homes, even in an area like Cuyahoga County where it has been, you have been seeing so much of a struggle to actually find these uh, with a strained system. Uh, during the day, I mean, these are providing beds. They're talking about up to 40 beds for these children between the ages of 0 and 13. And during the day, um, my understanding is they have the, the uh, organization has partnered with a church called uh, Church Alive uh, out on State Road in the old Brooklyn neighborhood. And, and that's basically the facility where these kids are going to go during the day to do school, to do other programming. I want to know how kids zero to age whatever cross the border on their own, but okay. Um, Is 40 kids the limit on what we're going to see here? And if the program's deemed a success, are we going to get more? It's a great question. 40 is the limit. It is up to 40, um, and they haven't started coming yet. The the kids have not been sent to Cleveland just yet, but the, the grant that they received is for up to 40 kids in the Cleveland area. You know, if it is a success, maybe they go try to renew the grant. Maybe they try to expand it from there. But right now, the limit is 40. Okay. Always good to talk with you, Eric. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks a lot. As this week is the official kickoff for the holiday season, we have a special segment coming up. Our newsroom experts talk about Hallmark holiday movies. Mary Kilpatrick and Emily Bamforth are here to discuss one of our favorite holiday traditions, Hallmark Christmas movies. Chris has kindly volunteered to play the curmudgeon, or as he says, the straight man. And if this podcast were a Hallmark movie, we would win him over to the spirit of hokey holiday fair (laughs) by the end of the segment. Also, we would go ice skating on an outdoor rink in an adorable small town. Not going to happen. Let's go. (laughs) I wish that was the agenda for the rest of the day. So I think we all know that all of the best movies of the year come out in the holiday season. And it's not Oscar bait, right? It's holiday movies. And I think a lot of people like me started watching these holiday movies. And if you don't know, like, get in on it because it's amazing. Um, (laughs) Because they started showing up on Netflix, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Instead of, you know, turning on your TV and trying to log into ABC Family's 31 Days of Christmas, which was a staple for me in college, now I can just go to Netflix and have these Christmas movies thrown in front of my face. Uh, all right. All right. Stop. Because to prepare <laughs> for this, I did spend a half hour last night watching, it was on Netflix, I think, not Hallmark, a, a Christmas night, some story. <laughs> about Chris, a guy who time traveled last it's night and too. it was so awful so poorly written so poorly acted i couldn't take it anymore but it really is probably the worst thing that i've spent time with in 10 years and it sounds like from listening to your conversations they're all that bad oh, they so are. you're they all are. smart but, people but like, that's why we employ you, you why are you watching this stuff i think i think it's not like you don't go in looking for an amazing movie with a riveting plot and mm-hmm. great characters and great um you know dialogue you go in for the same reason that you love your mom's macaroni and cheese it's comforting it's mm-hmm. always the same and you can it's great over the holidays because you can half pay attention to it it can be in the background i agree with that it's like Mm -hmm. your christmas card writing like thing in front of you and i do want to point out that i have not watched the christmas night yet but the plot looks exactly the same as last year's a very nutty christmas with 90s nickelodeon sweetheart melissa joan hart in which a nutcracker came to life so Mm. i feel like you know, there's like three plots in them. There's time travel. There's the um, career-obsessed spinster in the big city who gets sent to a charming small town, falls mm-hmm. in love with a guy and the magic of Christmas. And then, you know, like a, a road trip gone awry. Sometimes they're ghosts. Sometimes they fall in love with a guy who's like a haunted ghost at an inn. I've seen that plot line several and there's times, also, too. There's a lot of puns and the word Christmas in the title. Like, Yeah, I think, you know, I think the holiday season is hard for a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's hard to go home and deal with people sometimes you don't want to deal with and, you know, missing people who aren't there. And I think the wonderful thing about these Christmas mu- movies is you go in knowing that it's all going to be happy and it's all going to be the kind of Christmas that you want right and I think that's why people like these things (laughs) I think it's refreshing too I think this started a couple years ago with a Christmas prince which became kind of a cult hit over the internet it's not because it's good it's because it's like this fake European country called like Monrovia yeah Yeah, but but you 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 love it because it's bad and you can talk to your friends about it like I have a friend right now who is doing she's watching a Hallmark movie every day Um, She's going to watch 40 Hallmark movies this entire season. And she's like rating it on Instagram. When you say Hallmark, we're also including like Lifetime and Netflix. So she's actually doing only Hallmark movies. But I actually don't really watch Hallmark movies. Mm -hmm. I watch like the Netflix version. So I I think she's actually doing the Hallmark, you know, branded. But I think everybody that I know is watching these hokey Christmas movies and we all love talking about it because like what's going to be the twist like what's going to oh, be the thing that makes a difference twists that yeah, happen always. several times yeah see if I'm bad and and after I die and I have to spend <laughs> the eternity in hell spending the entire Christmas season watching one of these a night that would be it for me <laughs> I but let, let me go back to what I said earlier all three of you brilliant young women who who have careers that that are deal with intelligent thoughtful topics how can you find entertainment in this mush i mean how do people find entertainment in starbucks how do people or starbucks uh, (laughs) star wars i don't even know the name of it because that's how much regard i give it how do people find entertainment in football like 
men tackling each other (laughs) and you know i i don't get that i think that there's a lot and mary referenced this there's a lot that's going on in the world and at the end of the year you're pretty burnt out i enjoy these movies for the same reason that i enjoy the great british bake-off because i can sit there and look at something that doesn't make my brain hurt or make me sad unlike the news or a lot of things going on on the internet and I can just take a break for a minute in something that I can go talk to my friends about that doesn't really matter and I think honestly I like to see like the childhood stars from the 90s oh yeah all grown up like you know Winnie Cooper DJ Tanner well in in the night sorts of them in the night before Christmas Vanessa Hutchins is back who was a star in your high school high school we're not really talking 90s although you know Lori Laughlin from Full House obviously is disgraced and is not in any Hallmark movies (laughs) all right so for people like me who had never watched one of these before what what would you recommend as a place to start? Okay, so I think um, Santa Girl on Netflix oh, okay, is Mary, a complete on winner. On your recommendation, I watched this, and even I was like, this is the worst crap I can But not it's, it's, it's not, you're not going in for great movies. You're going in. No, it's just I didn't like the character. I thought she was well, just self-absorbed. And, like, all right, so I that's my... Mary's recommendation. What's your recommendation? Oh, anything with Candace Cameron. <laughs> I, you can't go wrong. And Holiday in Handcuffs is an old one, <laughs> but it stars Melissa Joan Hart, an icon, Mario Lopez, also an icon, who now does a reality TV show about making over people's pools, and a woman kidnaps a man from a restaurant and takes him home to her family under the, the presentation of him being her boyfriend. And I don't want to spoil it, but people may fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the best part about it is you can just turn your brain off and relax and not have to worry about what the next thing in the movie. You don't have to pay attention. Isn't it funny though? Like you're like, have I seen this one? I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> like you watch 20 minutes of it, and you can't tell if you've seen it before or not because they're all the same. Oh my god! <laughs> it's all some uh, arrangement of heart and home and Christmas. <laughs> well, sometimes they're kids. Sometimes yeah. they're single parents. That's true. Sometimes. Uh, like a house burns down and, and, I, and I see that in this yeah. year they've actually added some diversity in the Hallmark movies so not everybody is like you know a white 30 year old girl so but that's good I have no interest in finding out how that one I started to watch ends None. <laughs> I, I don't care they fall in love <laughs> yeah probably all right all right guys thank you so much for talking Christmas uh, movies with us but first we'll have Thanksgiving so we'll see you next week back on this week in the CLE All right, Laura, that's it for this one. I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving visiting your mom and not cooking. That sounds great to me. I hope everybody has a wonderful couple of days off and we'll uh, come back and finish the year. And we'll be back with another episode of This Week in the CLE next week. We publish usually on Thursdays. Thank you for listening.